0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. I'm Mark Bettencourt. Imagine that people from the majority group in the country where you live suddenly turn on a sizable minority and brutally murder them, their families, and anyone attempting to help them. When the bloodletting is over, around 10% of the population is dead. The country is completely devastated. There's no functioning government, no services, no economy, and no sense of what the future will hold. This is essentially what happened in Rwanda starting in April of 1994. Those who escaped death in this tiny, landlocked East African state, including both the victims and perpetrators of the madness, were left to put the pieces back together. And by many measures, the results have been better than the most optimistic estimates two decades ago. In that time, the poverty rate in Rwanda has been reduced from 77 to 45%. GDP per capita has doubled. Over 60% of the parliament seats are occupied by women, more than three times the global average. I spoke with the country's finance minister, Claver Gatete, about how the Rwandan people rebuilt their society from the ashes. I began by asking him about the condition the country was in at the end of the genocide in July 1994.
1: Already before the genocide, it was a weak country. It was a very poor country by any standards. But then when the genocide came, it destroyed almost everything. And uh, that's when the economy declined by 50%. We've never seen something like that. And inflation was at 65%. We had not seen something like that. And the poverty levels, you can imagine, were just uh, extremely high. We're at 77%. So the situation was very desperate. When the genocide uh, stopped, we had the survivors of genocide, Uh, we had the people who were already living outside as refugees who were returning, we had the people inside the country who had been displaced, and also quite a huge overwhelming number of the population that had participated in the genocide, Uh, almost close to that number, close to a million people who were suspects. Uh, Some of them were planners and masterminders of the genocide, Others uh, were the people who are really participating in the genocide itself, having been uh, brainwashed uh, to that level of killing each other. And at that point, uh, basically, uh, the whole social and economic infrastructure had, been, had collapsed completely, I would say.
0: Oh, something I was gonna ask you about is you have, on one side, you have uh, this vast number of traumatized victims. And on the other side, you have a lot of perpetrators who are themselves traumatized also. And you have to sort of try to rebuild some society out of these people who have just been through this horrible experience. Um, From a governance perspective, where, where do you even start doing that?
1: It's a most difficult situation. And that's where even the experts had no answers, had no advice. Naturally, if you do a crime of that nature, uh, the rule of law has to apply, but in our case, it's not just the rule of law. Uh, judging one million people take over 200 years, and at the same time, we, these people have to live with each other. Uh, so we had to uh, come up with a formula of using our traditional system, which we used to call the church system. It's a traditional system which used to help us in terms of resolving the conflicts. The masterminders and the planners; those will be taken care of by the uh, normal courts of law. And for the people who are being used to kill each other, are the ones who were being—I uh, mean—who went through that gacha system, so that they would have a balance uh, of justice, of course, which is very important, but also reconciliation.
0: What were the priorities from the perspective of the authorities in Rwanda, from the perspective of the government, to try to rebuild the economy and get things moving again?
1: Well, that became very complicated because everything was a priority. The hospitals were a priority. You needed to have the schools to start. You you needed to have water running. You needed to have the economy to kickstart. Almost all the reserves of the government through the central bank had been rooted. We had no agency that was collecting taxes. We had no private sector that was functioning. Then we were being supported by the international community through the UNDP, uh, which actually the government had no control over the resources at that time. It was a desperate situation where you could not prioritize. And that's why we had to innovate. Most people actually working as volunteers in the whole country. I think uh, the cabinet ministers were working for a long time without pay. They were only getting the rations of food as their own pay. And then we started, of course, uniting the Rwandans, creating a government uh, that at least works, and starting slowly by slowly putting things in place.
0: So not only had Rwanda been able to put the pieces back together to some extent, at least function as a state um, after this crisis, but has actually developed to be sort of a model state in the region uh, since then. What do you attribute that success to?
1: Well, for us, uh, one thing that we're in as much as we had a terrible, terrible uh, history that went up to the genocide, we are also lucky that we had good leadership. We had lost all um, our dignity completely. And the leadership that we had was really wanting to regain the dignity that the Rwandans had. So we had, again, to go back to create our own values, to develop the rwandan that everybody wanted, and at the same time, to really sacrifice everything for our unity and also progress for everybody without leaving anybody behind. And that's why all our policies, we have the big macro policies, but also we have the small micro policies that reach every ordinary citizen. And we do, we do that in a very inclusive manner. And that's why even for our constitution that we put in place that was taking into account our previous history uh, was really looking at how women could be included. And we had to bring in all parties means that for any party that wins cannot take it all. It has to take a maximum of 50% of the cabinet. And the, the party that heads the executive cannot head the parliament. So this way was to include everybody. But we want to own the process. We want to make sure that from the local government level, the people are the ones who own it. So this way, then, they are participating. It's not only a government that comes and they have to wait for it to come and do everything. No. They are the ones who are actually determining what they want to do, or what want they want done for them.
0: It seems that there are, there are many states, not just in Africa, but elsewhere in the world that are in various states of what we call fragility or they're enduring some sort of crisis. Um, so what advice would you have to, to other states that are going through um, crisis or, or fragile periods?
1: Uh, I, I think the first thing is to make sure that you have the whole population united uh, by understanding that they can make it understanding that they need to take ownership understanding that whatever waste that is done is done in their name and it's not acceptable transparency and accountability is very very crucial once they believe in themselves then the rest uh, really would follow so for me and and all experience is that nothing is impossible and we can always learn from each other We have so much that we've learned from other countries and other countries can also see how we are doing, uh, uh, how we are also implementing our own programs. There is no situation that is the same as the other. Each country is different. The history is different. The issues are different. Uh, There is uniqueness in each of the countries. But once you come together and you, as uh, uh, members of the society, understand your issues, work together to resolve them and do it in a way that is uh, uh, for everybody, then it works.
0: That was Claver Gatete, finance minister of Rwanda, on how his country rebuilt following a genocide that left as many as one million people dead. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can hear more like this at www.soundcloud.com forward slash IMF podcasts.